0: God, we come before you, and we ask that you would speak deeply into our hearts and our minds. God, may we have the proper perspective of you, who you are, what you've done, what you've accomplished already. May we have a proper understanding as best we can as sinners To recognize your love and your grace and your mercy for all of your children. God, take your truth and your love and inject it into our heart. We love you. We praise you. And we worship you. Before I go anywhere, I'd like to invite you right now, uh, if you don't have a pen, to get up. You can just go ahead and stand up and go get a pen to write with. In fact, even better, let's do this. um, They're going to come forward right now. If you need something to write with, raise your hand, and they will hand one to you. If you're in the middle of the aisle, they will throw one to you. Um, Everybody else, just close your eyes um, so nobody gets hurt. Um, So let's go ahead and do that right now. I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to be able to write some things down today. Um, We're in a series. If you're new here, you have come on a doozy of a week. (laughs) Because we're in a series right now that's called Because It Matters. And we're hitting everything from what it is to have a biblical worldview. We're talking, last week we spoke about weed and wine Um, And so this week we get to uh, start this week and next week we get to address biblical sexuality. This is an interesting one to approach, not biblically, we know what the word of God says And, and, and I'll go ahead and tell you this, there's all types of stuff out there. People keep trying to change and say, well, the Bible doesn't really mean this and it doesn't say this. One of the latest things I've read is, well, when it talks about um, sexuality and uh, a man with a man, it actually says man with boy, and, and that started in 1940 something. And so I went to, I have a Bible literally from 1605, pre King James, and it says man with man. Like we, we, can, we can try to make it say whatever we want it to say, but we know what the Word of God says. Here's what we're doing is we're looking at Scripture, and we're trying to figure out how to make Scripture fit into what our preferences are rather than our allowing our preferences to be shaped by Scripture. All right, so let me go ahead and get that out of the way. Everybody feel okay? If you have an urge today to throw something, turn around and do it. All right, just throw it behind you, all right? I told you about a month and a half ago in this series, I, I'm certain that I'm going to offend everybody in this room at some point, um, Here's another thing we have to recognize. Friends, um, every single one of us, Romans three twenty three it tells us all, every single one of us, we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. And that's why there's right now such confusion on biblical sexuality and it is every single possible capacity that you could imagine. We need to discover what the Bible does say about who we are and about what God desires. We need to look at how we even treat those who differ from what we believe about Scripture and about the Word, if it truly is to be followed and obeyed. We need to recognize that in many ways homosexual sin, guys, is no different than heterosexual sin. So that's why next week I get to address pornography and lust in detail. We need to examine what our response needs to be as followers of Jesus to everything that's happening right now within culture. We know that we live in a culture that is crazy about sex. Truly Now, I'm going to get into this a little bit more next week, but I want to go ahead and share uh, just a couple of nuggets with you. Um, The the prostitution and sex trafficking industry is enormous. This was as of five years ago. These are the stats that I found. I can't find anything more recent as of yet. I'm trying to find it for next week. Every second, just in the United States alone, this is amazing, every second in the United States alone as of five years ago, this is 2014, The pornography industry made $3,000 a second in the United States of America. That's $180,000 a minute. And everything feeds off of one another. We recognize automatically the issues that are facing us today. We are being bombarded with sex every single place that we go. Because the world is preaching, given to your own desires, given to your own desires. It's okay. Nobody can tell you wrong. Rather than changing desires and behavior and values, what we're doing is just saying, hey, just ch- change everything else so that you can do whatever you may want. We have affairs that are rampant idolatry, we have struggles with sexual identity. What is happening in our world today? Just in my life period, what I thought, you know, when when I was growing up as a teenager, um, it was just kind of assumed, at least in the circles in which I ran in Atlanta, pornography was bad. Like, it was just something you do. you got to fight against it, and there's a natural desire. We get it. But you have to fight against pornography. And now they say the vast majority, the majority of believers actually accept it because they believe it's something that you can't get away you with. Know, you, can't, you can't fight against, so you might as well just go, okay, do the best you can. So what's happened In our world, and it's just not, it's not about heterosexual or homosexual or transgender, and it's not necessarily even about idolatry. Because I want to tell you right now, here's the real problem. Are you ready for the real problem? It's one word. You ready? The real problem is sin. Sin's the problem. Now, I don't want to cheapen the topic, but the problem isn't necessarily homosexuality. That's a symptom. The problem isn't pornography. That's a symptom. The problem isn't lust or pride or a struggle with identity. Those are all symptoms. The problem is sin. That's why I started the entire series with this thing called a biblical worldview. And you have creation, you have the fall, that sin where we brought it in and we ushered it in it. We allowed ourselves to say, hey, we want what God has and we want to have his authority in our own lives. But then we also have redemption, and we also have something called restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the real problem. And as long as we act as though God needs to save us just from one sin in our lives, we're going to struggle because we don't need God to save us from one sin. We need God to save us from every sin. And the beauty of the gospel is this. Is that all who profess faith in him, he says, I have. Isn't that good news? Now, if you don't want to hear about sin, it's going to be hard to absorb everything that's said today. So I want to give us away way. Um, because I know some, some of you may expect me to come up here and say, here's everything that Scripture says. I'm going to get to a lot of Scripture la- later on. But uh, if you've been coming here uh, for any length of time at all, you, you likely know where I stand. Um, we believe in the inerrant Word of God, which means the, the fullness of the Word of God is something to be obeyed. And even though a lot of times those very things are something that I personally struggle with, um, it's still worth fighting to obey it because of the beauty of god's power it's why isaiah 55 8 and 9 we're asking everybody to memorize it understanding that his ways are higher and his thoughts are greater and so we succumb to those we submit to his thoughts and his ways in terms of our own behavior and our own value and i'm, I'm not standing here acting like that's easy some of you are going, you don't understand, Joel. Um, I'm born, I was born, and we're gonna, the people will talk about that as well. They'll say, well, I was born with this desire for people of the same sex. And what I'm going to tell you is that, it, that it doesn't, it's not even relevant. And you're going to go, well, how is that not relevant? I was born with a desire, like, as soon as you hit puberty, and this is, I told you, we've been telling you about this for a long time, so that if you don't want people to hear this, you're going to not have them in here, but I'm going to be so direct and so straightforward with you today. But by the way, we need to be teaching people. I tell parents all the time, it's much easier to teach than it is to correct. But from the, as soon as I hit puberty, what am I doing? I was lusting after girls, and I was like, oh, wow, she's pretty. Oh, wow, look at her. And yet God, and was I, was I born that way, yes or no? Yes. And yet God said, don't act upon that. Don't do it. There's more for you. You don't even know how you're going to end up defiling your own marriage if you keep going and going and going. Don't you understand? I know that you have to fight against it, but my ways are greater. And so I struggled with that, right? And so you can say this is the way that I was born, but yet I had to fight against it. Some of you are going, You don't understand, Joel. When it comes to premarital sex, and you're going, you you might be 43, and you're going, I want to be married, but I'm not married. And you expect me just to hold off these impulses. And scripture says, yes, he wants us to. And again, I'm not not pretending that this is just an easy thing for everybody to absorb and to be able to hear. I understand that many, many times that the church has handled all of these topics in a horrendous way. One of the most horrendous ways they handle it is by not speaking about it. Because silence, as we know, is concurring with. And so society assumes that most people just agree with anything that they want to do, no matter what it is, because the church is remaining silent on some of the most important issues that are within our culture today. And so I want to give you a way to be able to have this conversation in terms of why we're struggling so much with homosexuality and transgender and and all of these different issues that come into play. And part of the reason we're struggling with it so much, and I was listening to Rabbi Zacharias, if you ever heard him before, and he triggered some of these thoughts, and, and he's, he's just a brilliant, brilliant man. Um, but he triggered, triggered some of these thoughts. I want to share them with you today. Um, so if you get out your paper there, you're going to be able to find this. Um, I'll go this way. Boom. And you see some of this already there. Now, some of this is already written for you because I want you to write down as much as you can. I'm going to write some additional things down as well. I'm simplifying just a little bit, but primarily we look at the issues of today based on two different views. Either you're looking at things with, uh, from a theological view or you're looking at things based on a relational or an emotional view. Primarily that's what we end up doing. So if you are looking at things from a theological view, you're trying to write a biblical worldview. You're trying to think God's thoughts about the issues of life. And you're, you're allowing God's thoughts to shape you and to determine what you will act upon and what you will not act upon. And if you're having a theological view... There's a recognition of, one, who you are and who God is. And so in his sufficiency, you now rest in him and you find comfort in him and you find instruction in him. And as a result of that, um, you you acknowledge that God is steadfast, that this is foundational. That theological view is foundational for every other thing in your life. The things that you will say yes to, the things that you will say no to. The way that you'll handle relationships, it's something that's never changing because it's God's truth. Now, here's the struggle that we have is a lot of times what we want to do is we want to look at things from a relational or an emotional view. And that's an easy thing to do, right? The majority of people make decisions based on feelings and emotions, Which means that's our view. We have a view from an emotional stance or a relational stance. But it's proven that the vast majority of people who will speak against something, when you put a friend in them who's saying the opposite, they will often either not speak to it or they'll just go along with it because they don't want that tension within the relationship or within the emotional boundaries of what that is. Okay? And so what we find is people today more and more... Um, are looking at the emotional or relational view, which is p- based on preferences. It's also based on relationships. This is the stuff I want. I was going to give everybody a napkin because this is the stuff at a coffee house. These are the conversations I love having. And you get a napkin out and you help people understand. Listen, we, we can all acknowledge this. Everybody, you, Nobody can deny this. And so you've got a theological view and you have a relational slash emotional view. And here's the struggle with the the relational view is... It's based on desires that drive and redefine truth. And the, the struggle with your relational view is, right, um, and if you don't think a relational view is emotional, how many of you dated someone before the person you married? Raise your hand. I need to raise everything. <laughs> so why am I not with him? Because that's an emotional thing, and it, 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 it shifted, right? It changed. It changed. I even told somebody else, my wife's not in this service, so another one of these stories. I, will you guys stop telling my wife what I say in the first service, by the way? Because I go home, and I don't tell the story again, and she goes, I heard what you said in the first service. And every single time, I'm like, traitors! So don't, don't betray me on this. I, I told somebody else. I was like, oh, I love you. Like, I thought I loved somebody else. I did. But that shifted as we kept learning more about each other, and that changed. Why? Because it's emotional and relational, and it's moving, and it alters, and it shifts. And so as a result of all these different things, what we're doing is we're getting caught up into so many different conundrums and problems. Now, what I'm not saying is that this, I'm not saying that this is good And that this here is bad. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that this should determine this. There's an order. There's a reason. And so often what we're doing in the world today and in our society, the way that we're making decisions and the way that we're allowing our own decisions to be made is we're allowing this to drive this we flipped them. You're following me, yes? It's got to be more than 11 of you following me right now. You follow me, yes? yes. So as a result of this, what we have to recognize is that the theological view should be driving our relational and our emotional view. Because when this begins to drive our understanding of God, the only way to make it work, is to change this, which is not changing. But that's what we're doing. And we continually are trying to change what Scripture says. We're continually trying to change what God actually meant, right? And you, I've, I've read it all. You can't do it. And they've tried to take these words and make them something else and then that same word in Greek or in Hebrew means something completely different somewhere else and so then that falls apart and we just, because we're relational and we're looking at things from an emotional response and a view, we just don't want to accept this but this is the, this is the conundrum that we're having. And we need to understand the struggle that we're having in that very thing. Knowing that a a healthy theological view will often make these decisions for you. Now again, this isn't good or bad because this being healthy, God desires to be in what? A relationship with you. God desires for us to be in relationship with one another. But he does define what those relationships need to look like. Now, I know, um, th- this, is, this is why I say we can't allow this to take precedence or priority. It's important, but it has to be driven by this. Th- this is what happens when this drives this. Luke Timothy Johnson, who's the New Testament scholar at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, um, and that's, that's an individual, he is known as a Greek scholar and, Um, But over the last 15, 20 years, he has stepped less into trying to understand Greek and more into this area here. He says this very thing. He says that the Bible, he now thinks that the Bible is wrong, and he rejects. So he recognizes, here's a New Testament scholar, a Greek scholar, who recognizes that this says what it says. And so now his response, he knows that he can't deny what it says, that it means about homosexuality and everything else. And so what he says is, well, then just those sections are wrong because there are certain portions of Scripture that does not embrace our emotions and our experiences of self. Word for word. So he knows he can't argue the meaning of Scripture, and so what he says is he rejects it. Why? Because it doesn't embrace our emotions and our experiences of self. Have you not seen how we've done that in the world today? So here's what I want us to do. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And by the way, I hope you're in a break room. I hope you're at work somewhere, at school, wherever it may be. And I hope you people, when they go, hey, what do you think about this? You go, hey, well, let me tell you. Here's the struggle is... You know, God wants us to see everything from a theological view, a healthy view of what he wants, but it's so hard to not look at things in a relational, or emotional view, but we have to make sure the theological view is first, and that'll impact the decisions that we make, right? Um, well, are you telling me then that I can't have these experiences and I can't have these desires, and you simply say, what I'm telling you is I understand that that's a result of sin in our own lives, to fall, But yet God is saying, he's got a different way. That's what I'm telling you. And that's the only way you can fully walk in him is to walk in obedience with his word. Right? Isn't isn't that the conversation that we should be having every day? And then when sometimes I've had people raise their voice at me and they yell at me and I'm like, I love doing this. When someone starts yelling at me, I just say, can I give you a hug? And they're like, what? What? I love you. I love you too, but I'm just telling you this is what he has for us. Before I get into 1 Corinthians 6, let me go ahead and say this as well. These notes are absolutely useless today. Um, but I got rid of the stool. <laughs> like it was useless as well. I couldn't stay seated. Think of it this way. What, what I'm speaking about today is I know that for some of you, I'm asking you to step out of a relationship that you may currently be in. So this is is big. I love every single one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. And what I'm telling you is I so firmly believe in the Bible and in his word and his truth that I'm asking for some of you to step out of a relationship that you're currently in, and we'll help. We'll do what we can. I'm not saying we'll do it perfectly because we are messed up as well. That's why I started with Romans 3.23. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we'll help. And I'm not saying that's easy to do. And you're going to say, you're asking me to deny my natural intention or my, my, my natural desire, and I'm going to say yes if it's against the word of God because I trust that God, who is never changing, who is always, is greater. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, let me give you, I'll give you a little bit of background of what's happening. This is Corinth, okay? 1 Corinthians, Corinth, you see it there. And Corinth was filled with rampant sexuality, Every night, there would be a 1,000-plus prostitutes that would come down from the temple of Aphrodite's, and they would engage in sexual, all kinds of misbehavior. It was a, a, a horrible place. What we are experiencing now, by the way, and the, you look at where it's gone in the last 10, 15 years, right? And the next 10 years is scary where this country will be. But it still doesn't even compare to what was taking place at that time, at least where we are today. And they would practice their trade. That's what they would do. And Paul is giving us some clarity on looking at sexuality. And this is what he says. I, w- I want to share parts of it with you. Um, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and following. And it says, this is 9 through 11. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor uh, rival, uh, revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. As, and such were some of you. Now please hear this. Um, because here we want to make this passage primarily about homosexuality. It also says, nor thieves, those who steal, nor the greedy. (laughs) I told you before, this isn't really about homosexuality and transgender and everything else. This is about sin. Yes? But it says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, if you continue on down this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it also, it continues, and it says this. It talks about prostitution. It talks about the two needing to become one flesh. In verse 17, 18, it says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And then it says the following. It says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And it's telling us, flee from sexual immorality. We're not to rationalize it. We're not to justify it. I mean, some of the most most well-known Greek and New Testament scholars are saying you can't, we can't deny what it says, and so we're just gonna say we disagree with it. Guys, sexual immorality, maybe you need to understand what this even is. Sexual immorality is anything sexual outside of marriage between a man and a woman. I want to give you a definition of it because even that sometimes we can confuse and, and really struggle to understand. The depth of that. Sexual immorality is anything that's sexual outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That's sexual immorality. That includes pornography. That includes lust. That includes um, heterosexual relationships and affairs and everything else, right? Um, that includes many of you are in an emotional relationship that is not healthy with someone of the opposite sex, and you're married, and that's sexual immorality because of the... the the place that you have gone there. So the definition of sexual immorality is anything sexual outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Anything that's sexual outside of a marriage, that marriage is between a man and a woman. And so why again do we struggle with sexual sin? Because sin causes us to choose self over choosing Jesus. That's Why? So we find this in 1 Corinthians 6, another passage that we find this in is Romans chapter 1, where I want to spend more time today. Romans chapter 1, go there with me if you would. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, and then you have the first letter from Paul, Romans. in the New Testament there, Romans chapter 1, and it's this means so much to me. I, I referenced this story one other time. As many of you know, this last summer, my wife and I were able to go over to England, to London, and, and to Dublin as well, in Ireland. And as we were there, the very first day, just the, the different conversations that I'm overhearing and the different things that I'm seeing, I was just burdened. And um, God had already told me what he wanted me to do um, on the sabbatical that I had. And that was one, as I was going to write out the book of Romans and because I think when you write it out or type it out, it's a different thing than just reading through it. And so that was part of what I was doing every day. And so I'm there in the very first day. I'm, I'm seeing things and I'm hearing things, and my heart is grieving for where why, where have we gone to step so far away from a theological view to only be in a relational view of everything that's happening in life. And I'm sitting there on the sh- a street across from Kensington uh park, and I'm there, and I'm reading and writing out Romans chapter 1. And I said, wow. Paul is writing this, by the way, from Corinth. Now, I already told you a little bit about Corinth, and so he's very aware of everything that's taking place around him. And the, one of the themes of this book of Romans is that the, about the righteousness of God being available to anybody who comes to Christ through faith. And yet he's seeing all of these things that are hindering people from coming to Christ through faith. And they're not coming to faith because they're allowing their preferences and their emotions to dictate their understanding of God rather than allow God to dictate and to guide their emotions and their preferences. That's what's happening in the world today. And so here he is, and he's walking this, path and he's recognizing that everybody needs to profess christ as lord and savior because of the sin that we have in life um you you ever heard the question how can a good god allow bad things to happen to good people anybody ever heard this question fast participation we've all heard it that is such a bad question friends like when people ask you that question, just can you, will you just say, hey, can we just stop for a moment? Because here's the assumption. Everybody assumes that they're good. That's the problem with that question. It's not the fact that God is good. The, 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 the struggle with that question is that you're assuming, anybody who has that question, you're assuming that you're good. And yet Romans tells us, right? We know this chapter 3, I hope this is right, chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Romans 3, 9 and 10 says, no one is righteous, not even one. And so to ask, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, you're assuming that you're a good person. We recognize, here's the gospel message, none of us are righteous, none of us are good, and yet God gave us everything through his son for anybody who has faith in him. The real question is, how could God redeem us from the pits of hell when we're not deserving? And so some of you, we need to process all this different. I think Paul is trying to help people understand this as he jumps into Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, one of the things it says, verse 18 and following, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So it says, we already know that all, chapter 3, all none of us are righteous, we are all unrighteous we're all sinners we all have mistakes in our lives and yet it says that those who are unrighteous are suppressing the truth those who are giving in to certain sins in their own lives it doesn't matter what it is what we're doing is we're suppressing the truth i hope this visual helps you because again the goal is for you to walk out and start having the conversation For what can, Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. And listen to verse 21. For although they knew God, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served God the creature rather than the creator verse 26 for this reason god gave them up to dishonorable passions it says for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature the men likewise gave up natural relations with women And were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And so what I'm here to tell you now is that if you are embracing a lifestyle that is outside of God's design between a man and a woman, I'm first here to tell you this: God still loves you. Amen. And God has more for you. And that means I'm asking for some of you, yes, once again, to step out of a relationship that you're currently in. Here's what this passage is telling us. Please hear this. Sin disorders our heart and disorients our thoughts. That's what we're seeing happen in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, we're discovering that sin disorders our hearts. It, it, it is disorienting our thoughts and making us think differently. Even as we look at this, we go, wow, now all of a sudden these things are determining who this God is. And yet God is never changing. We've exchanged God's plan for our preferences. The praise of God has been exchanged for the pleasure of flesh. The praise of God has been exchanged for the pleasure of flesh. Now look at just Romans 1.21 that I read earlier. Romans 1.21, I want you to contemplate this. This is so amazing for us to see. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, what what I would tell you is that this is a great verse to understand where we are today in our world. It's a great, if you just need one verse, right, to go to, this is a great passage to be able to understand in the process. This is what it's doing. It says the following. Here's the process that's in this verse. There's four processes that you find in Romans 1, verse 21. It says the following. It says the people, they had a knowledge of God. It says they knew God. So here's the first thing. Please make sure you, this is a great time. Write this down if you want to, because again, what are we trying to do? We're trying to walk out of this place and let everybody know that they are loved by God, but we're wanting to have a conversation with them about who God is and what he really desires. Isn't that the right way to go for the believer? That's the right way to go. So here, Romans 1.21, it says they had a knowledge of God, but then it tells us, number two, that they refused to honor him, though, why? Because really, if you look at verse twenty-one, they were opposed to his character. If you look to, look at, all, they didn't like what God was asking, right? It's like the kid who you say, "Hey, um, hey, we go clean your room," and then twenty minutes later you go, "Why don't you clean your room?" They said, "We didn't want to." They just didn't like what you asked, so they didn't do it. Isn't doesn't disobedience primarily come because you don't like what's being asked of you? If you liked what was being asked of you, you'd be like, "I'm in." never in my life with all of my kids have I ever asked them to clean their room and they go, woo, I can't wait! And they sprint to the room. And if that's ever happened to you, I'd like to, you need, next week, you're teaching parenting up here. I've never had, I've, I've had, yes sir, and they walk. While I know they are walking, they're going, oh, I can't believe he asked me, right, or something. It's That's what we're no different as we grow. And, And so as a result, they had a knowledge of God, but then they refused to honor him because God was asking them to do something they didn't want to do. They were opposed to the character of God. When you're being disobedient to God in something that you know he has instructed, what you're saying is, I don't like your character, God. Number three, another thing that we pick up from this is they were ungrateful for who he was that he was never changing, and for the life that he brought through Jesus Christ. They were ungrateful for this, and so they allowed this to rule the day. And then lastly, fourth thing is, so they began to reason for self. It tells us, again, verse 21, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They began to reason for self, rather than to allow God to guide. And it's no different today. We have a knowledge of God, but we don't honor and respect him. And so we're dissatisfied with his character, what he desires of us, and so we give in to self, we give in to sin. It's Romans one twenty one. But here's what I want to make sure that you understand also. Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. And the only way we can truly know what is right is by God's word and by God's instruction. That's the only way. And what we do is we're just taking one small step and one small step, right? We talk about that a lot, is that you got Satan on one end and God on the other. And the more times, Satan doesn't want you just to abandon everything you've ever known and run that way because he knows that's not going to happen overnight. But if he can just get you to take one small step toward him and then another small step toward him and then another small step toward him. People are wanting affirmation for who they already are rather than transformation by God. This can even help. This, I think, can help in talking to other people. You know, somebody recently, I had this conversation with him, and I just asked him, I said, do you want me to just go ahead and tell you what you want to hear or what Scripture is telling us? People want affirmation for who they already are rather than transformation by God. And I just want us all to seek transformation by God. It's called sanctification. It's trusting that his ways really are higher and greater than our own. Friends, um, what we cannot do is this. We can't Declare, And it's right there. Make sure you fill this in. We can't declare that Scripture reveals the truth of salvation while discrediting its authority to define behavior and values. We can't declare that Scripture reveals the truth of salvation while then discrediting its authority to define behavior and values. And I know it's easy to do, not even in the realm of just homosexuality. I'm not saying that. And because of sin, we're all there. We're all broken. And some of you are going, well, that's just the way that I am. And I'm saying that you claiming that that's just the way that you are doesn't justify any action. When God says, I want to make you a new creation in Christ, and part of that new creation is saying, yeah, you may struggle with that desire your entire life, but that means you struggle with it because you want to give glory to God. The world, friends, the world is groaning for, Romans 8, the world is groaning for restoration. That's what it tells us. And restoration is only found in Christ. Does this mean that if you're attracted toward the same sex, that the Bible says that you should not act on it? Yes, that's what it means. Just as if you're in a heterosexual relationship and God, uh, and he's telling you, you shouldn't act on any relationship sexually outside of being married between a man and a woman. He's saying don't do it. Don't bring pornography into your bedroom, even if you're married. Don't do it. If you have a desire to change your sex, right, that's rampant now, by the way. Um, one of the largest things that's happened, one of the things that the trends that's taking place is now there are clinics coming up all through Canada and already in the Middle East for people to reverse sex changes because they recognize that never brought the fulfillment that they wanted it to bring. But does it mean that if you have a desire to change your sex that you, you should act on it? No, you shouldn't act on it. What we need to be doing is praying that God would work in our heart. Pray for the power of God. This is the only way it changes. And I want to conclude with this today. Here's the only way it changes. Is that we pray that God would come and do a supernatural work. It's the only way it changes. Pray for God to work one in your heart. Maybe if you're the one struggling with these desires, but also to work in your heart if you're not speaking to these biblical issues that provide a theological view. Pray for God to work in your heart. Pray for the power of God to do a super supernatural work in your life. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. Sanctification, hear this please, sanctification doesn't mean that sin will no longer be a struggle. Will you please hear this? Like some of you, then why is it why does it have to be so hard? Even Jesus Christ was tempted. Sanctification doesn't mean that sin will no longer be a struggle. Sanctification means you are willing to battle against the struggles of sin because you choose God over the sin, and God has already chosen you. Praise Him. No matter the sin, please, you're not going to walk, I'm not going to give you the choice to walk out of this place and say, they hate us. God loves you and so do we no matter what. I'm not going to give you a choice of walking out of this place and saying, those people are narrow-minded. We're not narrow-minded, we're God-minded and God's ways are best and we love you and adore you and we will figure out how to partner with you so that you can step more closely in line with the Almighty God for eternity. We love you. For your son or your daughter or your grandson and granddaughter or your neighbor who says I will never enter a church and if they're saying that because they because we disagree with them, what I'm saying is I disagree with a lot of these yahoo's. But we love each other. Embracing Jesus. That's what it's really all about, right? Embracing Jesus. And if we embrace Jesus, it means that we want to retaliate against anything not in line with God's word and God's truth. And we want to run toward transformation. I love this last portion of the passage, First Corinthians 6, that passage I started with. I just want to read verse 14. Let's throw that up for them. This is so good. It says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. And no matter the difficulty, no matter how hard it is, what I'm telling you is God can raise you up. God can raise us all up to be more in his likeness because we're to pursue holiness, to be holy as he is holy. Second Timothy chapter 2, to be holy so that we can be a representative of who he is. In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your pain, I'm inviting you, even if today has just given you bristle after bristle, I'm inviting you to come be church with me. So that this always takes precedence over this. God, I come before you in the name of Jesus and I give you thanks for your love. God, I know that for some, even the words today create additional questions for my friends that are here. But I'm praying that every single one of us here today that we would find comfort in the name of Jesus. Jesus that we would recognize that we find acceptance in the embrace of Jesus, not acceptance for our sin, but acceptance when we call out his name and he strives then to bring transformation in our lives and sanctification and purity and holiness. God, may we chase holiness and may we rest in you.